visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney. Welcome back, and a special welcome to our next guest, a man we've not heard from in altogether too long, but I'm very glad to catch up with whenever we can. His name is Lawrence Peck. He is an advisor to a terrific organization, the North Korean Freedom Coalition, headed up by our friend and colleague on the Committee on the Present Danger China, Suzanne Schulte. He is also one of the country's leading experts on a very insidious influence operation being run against our country by the North Korean government. And we'll talk with him about that in due course. But first, um, let me just say again, Lawrence, thank you for taking time to join us. It's great to have you with us. We have, of course, been buffeted in recent days by this disastrous departure from Afghanistan and all that is flowing from it. The Chinese Communist Party has understandably perceive this as an opportunity to ratchet up their threats against Taiwan, which were already pretty high. But they're now talking rather expressly about the fact that um, the Taiwanese cannot count on us. That may well mean, uh, either by intention or by miscalculation, that uh, we find ourselves in a shooting war with the Chinese Communist Party over Taiwan. I'm very keen to get your sense Lawrence, as to what else might eventuate in North Asia, should that happen a little further south. Specifically, talk to us about the attitude of the South Korean government, um, a nation that has long been a very important ally of this country, on the Korean Peninsula, of course, but it has further reaching implications if we wind up losing effectively South Korea. Is that a possible further difficulty that might, as I say, arise if the Chinese decide to go for it in Taiwan? Of course, if there were any kind of a major uh, conflagration uh, of that nature, the South Koreans would have to make a big decision as to where they would stand, because as you know uh, from some of our previous discussions, the current uh, South Korean government has uh, taken a a rather sympathetic stand towards the Beijing regime. And as a matter of fact, uh, President Moon, the left-wing president of of South Korea, uh, has as part of his what you might call appeasement policy towards China, uh, which uh, goes in tandem with his appeasement of North Korea, he has uh, implemented what is known as a uh, as a three nose policy, and one is uh, uh, no further deployment of the FAD. Uh, uh, anti-missile system in uh, his country, in South Korea, after the initial deployment, uh, he said no more. And also the uh, his, the second no being uh, not being willing to uh, be part of any uh, U.S. theater missile defense system. And the third no that he uh, declared, being very positive to China, was that uh, he would not be involved in any regional anti-China alliance. So because of those that very pro-China three no policy that he had, if there is some question as to his reliability as an ally. Should there be a serious, further serious problems with with China? These are important indicators. I think it's fair to say, Lawrence Peck, but they're not the only ones. There's been a lot of activity on the part of Moon Jae-in the president of South Korea, to associate himself with, um, align himself with, otherwise become essentially both an enabler of and a strong ally to, I think it's not too much of an exaggeration, uh, North Korea, which is, of course, China's puppet state, uh, 
in the northern part of the Korean Peninsula. Talk a bit about some of those other indicators of Moon's proclivities and, and those of the people around him. And again, what does that mean in terms of deterrence against, well, most immediately, obviously, the North Korean regime, but also the Chinese? One of our major means of deterrence, of course, is the, uh, the Northeast Asian alliance system, a deterring alliance system against any uh, potential uh, totalitarian aggression, which we have built up and on which we rely for our whole uh, security infrastructure in that region of the world, which includes the alliance with South Korea, but also the alliance with Japan. And uh, it was Moon who, uh, from time to time, will create these crises in the trilateral alliance system. I, for example, a couple of years ago, uh, announcing his pullout from the military intelligence sharing agreement, uh, the trilateral agreement between us and the, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the agreement between uh, uh, South Korea and Japan, uh, bilateral agreement, I should say, uh, they, by which they were cooperating and sharing military intelligence with Japan. And of course, under heavy U.S. pressure, uh, he finally uh, changed his mind and agreed to stay in it. But from time to time, he will threaten to, to pull out of it once again, which would very much damage, uh, obviously, our our uh, trilateral uh, alliance. That's just one uh, major example of uh, of how he has been putting in peril our, our defense uh, network in that part of the world. And again, if what we're talking about here, folks, is trying to prevent a conflict at a time when it seems pretty clear the Chinese are feeling emboldened, um, having an unreliable ally in the South Korean Blue House, as they call it, the uh, counterpart to our White House, um, is a very undesirable thing. It turns out there's also been evidence that uh, the Moon regime has been tarnished, shall we say, by a spy scandal involving, I gather, North Korean spy agency operatives. Is that right? That's correct. A, a, a major uh, story broke just uh, uh, over the past uh, week or two in South Korea about the uh, the uh, unmasking of a North Korean spy ring composed of South Korean radicals, pro-North anti-U.S. radicals, who it was discovered uh, actually for many years, even before Moon came into office, but the the authorities there have been monitoring them, and they just happened to, to finally make the arrest and charges at this time, a ring of North Korean spies who uh, had the mission of disrupting uh, U.S.-South Korean relations, of interfering uh, uh, on behalf of the North in South Korea's uh, 2020 legislative uh, elections, uh, of course, against the conservative candidates uh, uh, in that uh, election, who did suffer badly, and also to campaign against further South Korean procurement of U.S. weapon systems, in particular the F-35 fighter aircraft. And this spiring, the members of it, had actually been... Uh, part of a, uh, a campaign uh, organization for President Moon when he ran for president in 2017. It had been meeting with uh, members, uh, high-level members, legislators from uh, Moon's uh, left-wing Democratic Party. So again, spies operate all the time, some more successfully than others, some more with the assent of those that they're spying against, some without their knowledge. In this case, what does it tell us basically about the openness of Moon Jae-in's government to penetration by agents of the North? And does it likely apply to Chinese intelligence service operatives as well? 
a very interesting point in that regard, Frank, is that uh, people were asking uh, why the arrest and the unmasking of this spy network at this time, because it was actually something that was going on for uh, a couple of decades uh, there, this particular spy ring. And people were speculating there, especially conservative commentators were speculating that, of course, it wasn't due to any heightened anti-spy uh, awareness or dedication on the part of the leftist moon regime, but rather it was due to the fact that his regime has come under a lot of criticism from uh, national security-minded and conservative forces there because what Moon had done uh, uh, not too long ago was to take all responsibility for ferreting out spies and cracking down and investigating them away from the National Intelligence Service and it turned it over to the local uh, police forces there, which of course uh, national security and counter intel people there regarded as a disaster because of course the, the, the police there was not in any way equipped or didn't have any experience in handling anti-espionage cases and by taking it away from the intelligence service, the responsibility for, for anti-spy uh, anti uh, 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 investigation he was effectively uh, handicapping such uh, measures. Let me turn to something that's been happening in our own country in terms of penetration and subversion and influence operations, perhaps uh, even espionage. Tell us about the kinds of individuals that you've identified as being closely associated with the North Korean regime and advocating on its behalf in ways that uh, are actually quite insidious. Yes, there there is some there is some uh, insidious level of uh, influence operations as I as I uh, characterize them which have been going on uh, being conducted by pro-North Korean organizations and the individuals who run them here in the US who do a lot of lobbying especially in recent years very intensive lobbying of sympathetic uh, left-wing members of Congress to push uh, against U.S. sanctions on the North and against human, U.S. human rights pressure on the North and things of that nature, uh, one extremely disturbing trend is that it is not only people who are working uh, because they're in sympathy with the uh, North Korean government and uh, essentially lobbying for uh, legislation which the North favors and against legislation which the North opposes, but also, in addition, uh, pro-Moon Jae-in people who in the past were a little bit distinct from the pro-North forces in the U.S., uh, more partisans who support uh, uh, Moon and his uh, left-wing Democratic Party in Korea have been making common cause with and joining together with the more outright pro-North forces to lobby Congress. And as one particular example of that, there's been just uh, uh, not too long ago uh, direct funding, or I should say indirect funding, but directly uh, uh, pointing to South Korea because the South Korean government, uh, through one of its uh, affiliated agencies, paid close to $25,000 to a pro-North activist here working with pro-North groups to author a report opposing sanctions, which was then sent to a number of members of Congress who may not realize that this anti-sanctions report, obviously benefiting the North and targeting Congress, was prepared uh, uh, through funding of the South Korean government and prepared by uh, pro-North activists here. Let me just ask you, when you look at what these influence operators are doing, I must say it, it would seem to me difficult to countenance that there are members of Congress who are actually sympathetic to that odious government in Pyongyang. I mean, it is one of the most despicable and, and inhumane and tyrannical and potentially dangerous on the planet. 
what on earth can they find uh, to like about it, let alone be sympathetic to? And can you name some names of people that you're talking about in Congress who have such sympathies? Yes, in terms of the members of Congress involved, it's not so much that they're uh, in direct uh, support of, in sympathy with the North Korean regime itself, it's just that they're uh, radical leftists in, in particular cases, and they're fully on board with policies of uh, in what they call engagement, what we would call a full-born uh, in, uh, appeasement of the North, and therefore they're subject to the blandishments, uh, either through ignorance or ideological sympathy with left-wing and pro-North groups here, which... Uh, uh, are in uh, contact with them and, and lobbying them, and uh, in some cases have been successful in getting members of these Congress uh, of the Congress to sponsor or co-sponsor uh, uh, resolutions and bills. For example, calling, demanding uh, that the U.S. Uh, sign a no preconditions peace agreement with the North, or that the U.S. relax sanctions uh, to some degree on the North, and. Uh, these members of Congress who have been uh, targeted and who have been sympathetic with the pro-North groups here in terms of doing their bidding legislatively uh, are people like, for example, California's Ro Khanna, uh, uh, AOC in New York, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Rashida Tlaib, Tlaib is, is left with these people, and uh, Barbara Lee of California, just to name a few of the ones who've been more active, Bernie Sanders on the Senate side, been more active in, uh, in collaborating with these pro-North front groups here giving them a friendly hearing and in some cases pursuing actual legislative uh, agendas on the behalf of these pro-North forces here. And lastly, Lawrence Peck, let me just ask you, when you look at all this, the South Korean government, the North Korean government, uh, the Chinese government, the various United Front Work Department organizations and sort of their North Korean counterparts, uh, influence operators, individuals or, or groups. To what extent do you believe that, especially under the Biden administration, that we're witnessing a serious erosion in America's national security position in the northern western Pacific at the very moment that we're seeing the Chinese acting more and more aggressively as well in the South China Sea and towards, as we discussed, Taiwan, also towards Australia and um, other nations in the, uh, the, the Western Pacific region. One area that uh, is of uh, great concern involves the North Koreans themselves, and that is linked to the uh, collapse of our position and the disastrous policy of the Biden administration with regard to the Afghan pullout. Because, uh, as you may know, uh, historically speaking, the modus operandi of the North has been to mix and to exchange uh, uh, provocations with uh, fake peace overtures. So, for example, uh, one month they will offer a fake peace overture, like just recently last month they, they reopened a, a direct hotline between the North and the South, and then historically speaking, uh, after doing something like that, they will they will uh, play the good cop, bad cop routine and then engage in some kind of uh, provocation. I know that in the past time when the U.S. was distracted in various other regions of the world, whether it be uh, Vietnam uh, in the during when it happened, when the, as the Vietnam War was raging, and we were reassessing our policy, was there was the seizure of the the USS Pueblo uh, ship in international waters, and then just after the end of the the Vietnam War, when we were pulling back from Asia as a whole, there was the uh, axe murders at the border there in Panmunjom, when North Koreans murdered some of our soldiers, and then of course during right during the surge period in Iraq, during the crisis period there, as the surge was just being contemplated and beginning, the North Koreans torpedoed and sank a South Korean 
worship uh, there. So there's this there's this pattern of behavior on the north where they will alternate between uh, what some consider to be uh, on the left. Uh, 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 friendly actions, which actually are, are of a, f- a bogus nature, but also with a very provocative military adventurism. So we're, uh, the, 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 the South Koreans and us are, are concerned that because of uh, the disaster in Afghanistan, they may be, they may be uh, encouraged to perhaps engage in more aggressive behavior. I'm not necessarily saying that will happen, but uh, their, their track record is they, they kind of uh, alternate between, uh, between uh, uh, somewhat uh, uh, conciliatory moves and, and military provocations. Especially if it suits the Chinese purposes to have them acting up. Fascinating topics. And Lawrence Peck, your understanding of them, your mastery of the players and the nuances of uh, the nature of the play is uh, so helpful to us. And I hope you'll come back to us with updates very soon. I hope the rest of you will come back to us again tomorrow. Same time, same station. Until then, this is Frank Afney. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney.